Welcome to the Business Focus Podcast. Before we start, can we ask one thing? 74% of you that watch this channel frequently do not subscribe. If you've enjoyed our videos, please could you do me a favor and hit the subscribe button? It helps this channel more than you know, and the bigger the channel gets, the bigger the learning gets. Welcome to the Business Focus Podcast. Jonathan Herbs is the host of the Business Focus Podcast. He is a strategic advisor, coach, and mentor to entrepreneurial business owners, CEOs, and senior executives. In this podcast, he chats with entrepreneurs, founders, and CEOs of scaling companies. It centers around their entrepreneurial journey so far and their aspirations for their companies. Today, we're speaking to Mike Morgan, uh, Managing Director at Insight um, Asia Pacific. Um, welcome, Mike. Thanks, Jonathan. Good to be here. I'm going to do this a little bit differently than I normally would because Mike's a bit unique. Um, he is um, a graduated client of mine. Um, and I just wanted to start by um, giving, well, congratulating Mike first and foremost. He has just been, I'm going to read this, um, has been recognised at um, Leadership Headquarters Outstanding Leadership Awards 2022 as a COMD of, of the year for large corporations. Um, this is an award for the CEO who best demonstrates personal and corporate growth, inclusivity, and fostering leadership and courage within their organisation. Um, congratulations, Mike. I'm so excited for you. Thanks. I'm really, really humbled to receive it. I think it's a reflection of having a great leadership team across my business, which um, I'm very grateful for every day. And, you know, the really um, special part of that, I think, was the fact that it was a leadership team that put you up for it and you didn't know you had been nominated. No, I didn't. No, it was quite a surprise. Yeah, I was um, I was very proud of you and them, and, and very chuffed to to see that um, as you'll understand. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so let's just jump in. Um, so, what do you do, and what does Insight do? Uh, Insights is a global. It's a Nasdaq listed Fortune 500 tech company based in Arizona in the United States, and we have offices right around the world across North America, Europe, and here in APAC, with our APAC headquarters based in Sydney, Australia, where I'm based. And we basically provide a genuine end-to-end solution and service across technology for clients that range from the biggest of the big household global names through to government agencies across the world and down to small to medium enterprises as well. And with those organisations, we help them to find the technology to help them be smarter and go faster. We find that technology, we sell them that technology, we help them to implement it and then manage it on an ongoing basis and do amazing things with it to make them uh, to make them better businesses. Great. And so how long have you been with Insight? Almost six years now. Okay. And what, how would, can you describe to me what your role is? Yeah, it's, um, you know, my role is, the I guess, to sit at the top of a very capable group of people and, and sprinkle support and remove roadblocks to allow them to do what they turn up to do every single day, which is in most areas of our business to lead with bucket loads of experience, innovation and know-how to turn technology into something latent, to something active that helps our clients. And so my role is really to help them go faster and and um, mostly stay out of their way, actually. Um, it's interesting, Mark, the, the other um, thing that stands out about Insight, so I'm off script now with the questions. Um, sounds out to me about insight is um how um strongly you live the core values of the company yeah how, how it's reinforced and exampled by the fact that you're an employer of choice maybe you could go into that a little bit more in australia and other countries within your division yeah that's um 
Our values are very, very core. In fact, I think most organisations would say that their values are important to them, but we have over 12,000 people globally in our business and our values of hunger, heart and harmony, I would bet my house on the fact there wouldn't be one of those 12,500 people who couldn't tell you not only what those three values are but how they shop in, in active usage every single day. And they, they are a cornerstone of the way we recognise people when things go well. They're also a cornerstone of how we identify issues when, when things don't go well. And, um, and they're also, I guess, a, a guidance for teammates that in the absence of a written-down process or an obvious rule to follow, if all else fails, divert to the values and you'll probably be okay. So hunger, heart and harmony, uh, super compelling um, rallying cry for our business. We hire primarily our first thing that we're assessing when we hire new people, potential new teammates for our organisation is to assess those people on values. And it's the same when we acquire organisations at scale and in mergers and acquisitions, we pretty much start our journey based on culture, strategy and values alignment before we even really start getting into the, the dry but equally important financial proposition that might be on the table. And let's just um, employer choice. Which countries? Yeah, we're we're um, certified as a great place to work now in all five countries that we have operations in APAC. So it's Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong, and China. We set ourselves a, a goal that was based on a, a vivid vision that you helped me with uh, about eighteen months ago, which set an ambitious goal around a bunch of key things in our business by January twenty twenty four. And I'm pleased to say that becoming certified is a great place to work, and in fact, the best place to work in many of those countries by 2024 has been well and truly out achieved as we reached that in less than half the time frame and we were pleased to to learn last week we had our best result ever with Hong Kong being awarded the number one uh, best place to work in all of Hong Kong. I didn't know that one. That's that's fabulous news. It's um you know it's when I came to work with you Mike the the, the that structure that foundation of the values mm-hmm. in many ways made it very easy to actually implement what you and I worked on. Um, and it's, um, you know, I think inside, certainly APAC, the bit I've worked with, um, stands out to me as, um, a fabulous, a fabulous example of how powerful living the values can be. So yeah, well done to you and Maria and, and the rest of the team. Yeah. I think look, it's a pragmatic thing too, Jonathan, that there's an element of, of being a values based organization that it's just the right thing to do from a human perspective. But there's also an element where the values in our business, I think, genuinely grease the wheels of the business and allow us to go faster and further. And, and that's, a, that's a pragmatic benefit that we're very proud of and very actually very um, protective of. So we work actively to continue to keep that front and centre in everything that we do. Yeah. So, um, Tommy, how would you describe, uh, and you may answer this differently for the different divisions, but how would you um, describe your core customer, your best customer? Yeah, it is slightly different by division, but I guess um, our core customer is typically the sort of organisation that either doesn't want to stand still or, uh, from a survival perspective, can't afford to stand still, which actually is most organisations today. I think in, um, you know, I've been in IT for almost 40 years now, and in that time frame, the, the role of technology has gone from something off to the side in business to being really the business for many of our organisations around the world today. So, when technology is that front and centre and it's gone from being something that can help to something that is core to the competitive um, go-to-market of organisations, 
then it really does become a much more strategic investment for organizations. So our, so our clients, our, our best customers are the ones who want to do more and, and go faster with technology, and we can help to provide that advantage. Great. Now, I know um, we, we've talked about this a lot, but um, yeah, all companies have gone through, we've, we've been through the pandemic. Mm. Um, you had a particularly complex um, uh, set of issues to deal with, um, given mm. countries, et cetera. What, have you, uh, what did you implement during the pandemic that you've kept as business as usual? Uh, well, our hybrid work styles we've absolutely maintained and we, pride, we were priding ourselves prior to the pandemic as having a, a fairly flexible workplace. So, you know, if we, we want to appeal to a really diverse group of teammates that reflect the communities in which we work and in order to do that, you need to have strategies that attract everything from returning parents to people people caring for loved ones to people of different backgrounds, nationalities, races, the whole gamut. And in order to attract those people, you need to have a really decent flexibility approach. But the pandemic really put that on steroids as we were all forced into our homes. And we learned a lot through that process around, um, you know, for some of us who are lucky enough to, to live in places like uh, the major cities of Australia, a lot of our teammates live in reasonably large houses and they have the facilities to be able to have a separate workspace. But some of our teammates in other parts of the region don't have that luxury and they're living with multiple generations of family in very small accommodations. So working from home's not the same experience for them as, and it's not the empowering productivity in that enhancer that the Western world seems to, to believe that it is. So the flexibility is not only allowing people to work when they want, where they want, but it's also supporting those who can't to make sure that we've got contemporary spaces that where it's the opposite, we can accommodate that as well and making sure we have the right experience for the right teammates in the right locations at all times. And that's um, so that's been a big one for us. I think, um, you know, we, we work in technology, so we've told clients for years that technology can help them to be more productive and to work anywhere. So um, we would push solutions like that through to our clients and encourage them to use to use them. But we've seen the world embrace the benefits of those technologies now in their full extent, particularly with things uh, like collaboration technologies like Microsoft Teams, for example, allows people to have meetings like we're having now where we don't need to be in the same location. Um, video capability has been around for many, many years, but prior to the pandemic, very few people would turn their videos on in a you know remote meeting. They were still pretty much phone calls. So we're now seeing almost every meeting is like this. It's talking heads and it's and it's fast and it's uh, productive and, and inclusive. And those um, those strategies and those technologies have very much stayed alive in our organization as well. So we we see a bit of a a bit of a blend of some things that were hard to adjust to, but we had to adjust quickly that have stayed, and some other things that we took a few steps forward and maybe retreated a few steps as well as we needed to account, as I said earlier, for those people who, for whom um, the remote experience is not necessarily the best experience. Yeah, and look, it's interesting other observation is um, uh, you're, you're a larger organisation and having, um, the, as you were talking about you know, the other cultures and you know, smaller spaces and the like, I remember a story um uh, you told me about your head of people and culture very early on in the pandemic. Um, um, she, because with your large China team, uh, she had face masks, you know, hand sanitizers, you know, um, care packs 
uh, in the hands of your Chinese team before it, was, it really was even announced through the pandemic. It's um, yeah. it's fascinating how I was fascinated how uh, the team reacted in all sorts of ways. Yeah, uh, was that went to a new level actually when when the whole city of Shanghai, which is where our biggest cohort is in China, went into a citywide lockdown and and they had basic problems of of food supply. So we, we, again, our people and culture team were just amazing, had to pivot to finding NGOs who could do private food deliveries to make sure that our teammates and their families had enough food to get through. And that was really obviously appreciated by our teammates. But, um, again, it was it was the right thing to do in, a, in what was pretty close to a genuine humanitarian crisis at one point of that lockdown. Yeah. Um, so, Tony, what does the future look like and what do you see as the main challenges going forward? Well, the future is really bright. I mean, we are, we are very blessed to work in in the technology industry, going through the kinds of stresses and um, challenges that the world is facing and has been facing for three years and continues to face. Um, we've been not only robust through the pandemic, but probably a net beneficiary as technology has been so has been brought to the fore and things that the wrong plans and roadmaps that would take ten years have happened in months. So that's been great for us, um, and we don't see any sign of that slowing down as the world adjusts to different ways of doing work technology becomes a very very key way that organizations can continue to grow and to outperform their competition and we're right at the center of that world which is exciting um, we have a really unique advantage at insight in that we we grew from a proud heritage of being a reseller of technology very much a products-led business but over the last eight years, we've grown through acquisitions and organically to, to become overwhelmingly a solutions and services-led business that's built on that very important infrastructure of being a products-capable business as well. And very few companies have that have both sides of that very important coin when it comes to servicing clients. So we're excited that that's a, a unique differentiator for us. And the companies that do tend to have the rare companies that do tend to have that dual capability, very few of them are global. So that's then our other superpower. So when we pull all that together, we're really excited about the prospects of how far and how fast we can take that advantage to market across the world. And there's no shortage of opportunity. For me here at APAC, um, I have the smallest of the three regions, which is a blessing and a curse. It's a it's a blessing in the sense that um, we have a lot of autonomy and we have we're in the fastest growing region of the world with the smallest footprint. So our opportunity is gigantic. Um, you're wrong to call it a curse, but the challenge that I have is I want to bring everything that we do everywhere in the world to APAC yesterday, and yep. that's not feasible. So scaling up in um, in a measured way and making sure that we we pick some things that we can be famous for in a priority sequence and, and don't fall into the trap of doing a lot of things in an average way, but we do the right things amazingly well and we become famous for those is always top of mind for me. And the other, the other I guess, inhibitor or risk to that in our world, we don't make anything or sell anything that's a product of our own making. So what we really sell is people and their expertise and people are the hardest thing to come by and to to keep sticky in every organisation at the moment and certainly in the technology space where we have um, hundreds of thousands of people as an industry short of what we currently need, let alone the future demands. The universities are not pouring out graduates at even the rate that they were before the pandemic. So that's gone backwards whilst demand's gone forwards. 
So we have a real people crunch in our industry and that's overwhelmingly the biggest issue and, and threat to that otherwise very bright prospect for the entire industry and for, certainly for our business as a part of it. Okay, thank you. So what do you reckon has been the biggest learning you've had since um, you've been, been you know, in the CEO, Managing Director type role? Um, gosh, I'd say, I'd say the biggest learning is um, there are far more people. I think the, and maybe it was a phrase that you used with us, that if you want to go, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I, I just think by taking the time to resist the temptation to do everything yourself and, and spend most of your time understanding the strengths and capabilities of the the enormous number and calibre of people that you have in your organisation and then making them go further and faster, is that's a way to scale a business. Um, and every time I find myself seven levels deep in a in something trying to solve it myself, I now question whether I'm um, a the only person that can do that. And even if I'm not, even if I'm not the only person that can do that, am I the best person to do that? And if the answer is no, then I'm constantly learning to leverage myself out of those scenarios, push things down, which creates opportunity and growth for others, and keep trying to make myself redundant in almost everything I turn my hand to, so that we build an infinitely scalable organisation. And that's um, where I've managed to do that, and that's a constant challenge. I think it's a constant challenge for any leader is um, is to step is to lean back and step away from things that you know and, and help others to step in. But gosh, it, when you get it right, it really does accelerate your business, and that's been a, a terrific learning. And looking, you know, from my perspective, it's been obvious how how that's taken off and taken the got the It's two years or so. Yeah. Um. So. This is my favourite question. When you think of the word successful, who comes to mind first and, and why? I think successful. Um, I, I think you know, we're arguably Microsoft's biggest partner in the world and I'm a big admirer of Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, and I think he is the very definition of success. And the reason I think that is he took Microsoft is a business that's so big and so successful, it's almost uh, successful regardless of who leads it to varying degrees. But when you look at the impact he has had as a leader on that organisation, he has taken that to a, a level that I don't think anybody saw coming. And he's done that in a way that I can relate, really relate to because he's done that leading with values, purpose, vision. Um, he's... He's never asked people to do anything that he wouldn't do himself, which brings credibility and trust, and he leads with that philosophy. But he brought a passion and a belief back into the smart people at Microsoft and challenged them to be bigger than they could could have thought of themselves being before and then supported the hell out of them to get there, and the results are just remarkable. The reason it's my favourite question is I'm getting I get, um, this myriad of, of answers and it's just it's fascinating. Mm. Um, Top three or oh, business book, books, podcasts, um, biographies of leaders, any you'd recommend? I'll continue on the theme. So I'd uh, hit Refresh by Sarty and Nadella, I would say, is worth a read. I also think that Steve Jobs' biography is is equally worth a read and I, I learned as many lessons about – I found that book quite confronting, actually, because I'm a fan of what Steve Jobs achieved, but I'm not a fan of how he achieved it. So there was a – a confronting book to read from that perspective, but I'd, I'd certainly recommend it. Um, Start with why 
works right by Simon Sinek and pretty much anything written by Simon Sinek, I think, is always challenging and um, and worth a read. It's interesting, as you know, I, I quote Steve Jobs quite a, quite a lot. And, um, you know, the one that strikes, um, comes to mind, which I use with all of my clients, is um, he, he made a comment. He was, he was as proud of what they didn't do as what they did do. Yes. Uh, you know, that focus on three to five things. Yeah, I do think that's probably his strongest strategic legacy is that almost um, insane level of ability to say no. Yeah. And uh, and that's something that, that challenges us every day of the week. So and it takes a very special person to have that level of conviction even when an entire industry and market is telling you that you're nuts for creating something that you're saying yes to and advising you to go and do a whole 100 other things and to have the conviction to say, I know better, is is really quite remarkable. He was a very smart man. And, you know, he and, and uh, Nadella at Microsoft, the other thing they've both got in common is they've both built um, a university to increase the learning and the knowledge of, of their global team. Mm, very true. Any last piece of advice or parting words for a CEO or an aspiring CEO? Uh, look, I think learning mindset would be the summary. I think um, when I look at my network and I see leaders who've had a meteoric rise and that suddenly slows down, there's normally a common element in my experience that it's when the leader feels they finally arrived. And, and once you stop, once you lose that beginner's mindset, I think it's a very dangerous place to be as a leader because, you know, a leader can be absolutely can be an enabler in a business and can be responsible for scale, but can equally be the one person who chokes the business and prevents scale with the right intentions and feeling like you're doing the right things. But if you start becoming in the way instead of helping others by getting other people out of the way, then that can be a real inhibitor. I think the only way is to be very humble, to to adopt a servant leadership approach and to be constantly questioning how you can be better and how you can help others go further. Fabulous. Mike, that was fabulous. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. There's a lot of learning in there for, uh, for, for, for my view. Okay, great. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. If you were hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you watch slash listen. Please share this episode with others who may be interested in this topic. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, please send an email to admin at scaleupgrowth.co. Put be a guest in the subject line and tell me a little about yourself. If you want to gauge where your business growth potential is and identify where the biggest opportunities in your business lie or where the key needs that you need to concentrate on right now are, take our assessment where you will receive personalized advice for improvement. It's quick and free. Go to scaleupgrowth.scoreapp.com. If you would like to work with me one-to-one, I love coaching and get the best outcomes that way. Send me an email to jonathan at scaleupgrowth.co and put one-to-one in the heading. Tell me a bit about your business and let's see how we can apply a great strategy for your business. So that's it for this week. Tune in next time for more great learnings from a scaling entrepreneur.